And so as we get started this morning, happy Father's Day. Amen. Welcome, fathers. We're not afraid to say it here. We're not afraid to say that there's something a little bit different about this church. And one of those things is, is simply this, our fathers. And many of you are simply church fathers. You're not necessarily a physical father yet, but you've developed, you've grown, you're spiritually mature. I think of Ed, who was on the drums this morning. He's the, he's completely responsible for my son playing the drums and taking him under his wing and training and teaching and directing and such a man of faith. And uh, welcome, Ed and Allie. We miss y'all. So good to have Ed back on the drums this morning, right? Yes. Asinovia, welcome, Ed's mother, and uh, we want to make sure we pray for you before you go as well. So elders, keep that in mind as we get started this morning. Hey, we're in If God Only Knew Part 40. <laughs> Whoo, this is a lot. I didn't know it was going to be this long, but we just keep going. This is actually Part 9. I have it listed as Part 10 because I got a couple confused. I had my dates off a little bit, but let's jump in. We're going to have a great, great time this morning. Remember last week, if you didn't hear last week's sermon, your posture is very important. If you know anything about Joseph, Joseph, before he went to see Pharaoh and interpret his dream, the scripture says he did two things. And we talked about those two things last week and how important they were. He changed his clothes and he shaved. In other words, he presented himself. His posture was very important because he realized that the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts the lifetime of opportunity. And an entire nation, as a matter of fact, two entire nations would be dependent upon him presenting himself well before the Pharaoh or before the king. Today, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 43, I'm skipping a few, uh, uh, actually I'm skipping two chapters here, but I'll catch you up, don't worry, not today, but by next week you'll be caught up. If you'll please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain and they had, that they had bought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. Then their father Israel said to them, now this father Israel, his name is Jacob, okay? Israel said to them, if it, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. Speaking of, of Joseph here, that at this time they don't know that this is Joseph, all right? And so he's saying, hey, take this to this man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices of myrrh, some pistachio nuts, and almonds. Sounds like the snack I took on the tractor yesterday. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You may be seated. So along reading this morning, you'll see that I skipped a little bit, right? I started there with verse 1, and then immediately I went to verse 11. I just want us to get an idea of what this father is speaking, listen to me, to his sons. Very important that we see this, because you have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. All right, now here are Joseph's brothers, and, and you've got Israel, who is Jacob, and Jacob is doing what? He is speaking to his sons. He's saying, look, we are hungry. You're going to go back into the land of Egypt. You're going to look for favor among Pharaoh, among this man that works for Pharaoh, which he doesn't realize is the son that he lost. 
And, and the story is starting to be reconciled. And if you remember anything, remember life comes full circle. If you'll hang in there long enough, one of our principles that we're learning through this, if God only knew that you've got to endure in order to see life come full circle. So here's the cool thing. I love the fact that this is a father speaking to his sons. And not only does he speak to his sons, but he says something very important in verse 14. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. May God Almighty. In other words, don't go without knowing that you are empowered by our God, who is the Almighty God. He goes with you. He goes before you. I have brought you up in Him. He is our generational God, and we can trust in Him and Him alone. Oh, church, fathers, if you'll get this, I said we are a manly church. We really are a manly church. I mean, years ago, Church Unique did a study on us to just simply to find out that we're about 60% men. 57% is what it came out to be, which is highly unusual among churches today. Most churches are effeminate. If you didn't know this, most denominational churches today, particularly the one I came out of, is about 77% effeminate today. Where are the men I think part of it is because we have wielded manhood. We have, have in some ways trimmed it down. Fatherhood, we've trimmed it down. We don't even like to say the term father anymore because father means that someone is over you. Father means authority. Father means direction and correction. We find out from our own Lord, he, he says what? That the, the word of God says he disciplines those whom he loves. Our Heavenly Father will discipline us because He loves us. Fathers, it's okay to discipline your children, not beat them. All right? You may want to, but that's not what we do, right? We discipline. So here's the neat thing that we see throughout this generational God, that He is a Father, and there is no doubt that Jacob knows who his Father is, and he teaches his Father, his Heavenly Father, to his children. See, God's gift to us is fatherhood. To be a father, listen, you must be a man. And fatherhood, there's no doubt, is under attack. Fatherhood is God's redemptive plan, His restorative plan. 43% of firstborns in the United States are born without fathers in their home today. Think with me. 43% of American children are born in homes today without fathers. That's scary. 37% of all children in this country live without fathers in the home. Postmodernists have stayed away from the term father for fear of offending women. 63% of all teenage suicides are from fatherless homes. 63%. You see, we're attacking the wrong thing here, church. The culture is attacking the wrong thing. They're saying the answer is is to do away with the male gender, to choose our gender, to be who you're called to be. It's your life. Live it how you want. No, you didn't create you. God has a plan and a purpose, a design, and it is correct for you in you. 72% of adolescent murderers are from fatherless homes. 72% of teenage or adolescent murderers are from fatherless homes. 60% of America's rapists are from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless runaway kids 
are from fatherless homes. 90%. That comes from a book uh, known as The Boy Crisis. I read it five, six years ago. A great book. Not a Christian book, just full of statistics. It's just basically empirical data is what's in this book. Too many men are absent from the home. Children need a mom, listen, and a dad. That's the way that God designed it, church. Here are some biblical paradigms that may surprise you. Nearly every instruction in Scripture for bringing up children is given to the fathers. Nearly everyone is given to the fathers, not the mothers. It It is fathers that God holds accountable for the behavior of their children. Okay, let me say this again. Maybe we get this. It is fathers who God holds accountable for the behavior of their children. Uh Uh-oh. There's some kids going crazy. The Apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians 4.15, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. Here's why. Because it's too easy for fathers to become passive. It's too easy for us to revert back to a passive nature, which is what we see in the garden. In some ways, it is something in each man that we have to fight against. It's, it's, it really tries to convince us that, hey, the moms do a better job than we do. The mothers have the house in order. The mothers have the way to put words together. Honestly, the mothers read much better than we do. So we find ways, we find excuses not to be the father or the fathers who God has called us to be. And so Paul even is telling the church at Corinth, listen, you have a lot of tutors out there, but you don't have many fathers. We need church fathers today. If a child is the first person in the family to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% chance that the whole family will follow. Listen, we build these nice little children wings we run and we got a ton of children in this church and i'm so grateful that we do we we pour money into that and that's that is wonderful there's nothing wrong with that but let's just say that we're starting to gain some of the children out of the community and they're coming you have a 3.5 percent chance of getting their family to church if you just win the child. If you win the mother, statistics show this, you have a 17% chance of winning the whole family. But if you win the father to the church, to the faith, you have a 93% chance of winning the entire family. Sometimes we're pouring our resources, we're preaching our sermons, we're dumbing them down, we're trying not to make them too harsh. Oh my goodness, did he say that from the pulpit? He talk about getting angry? Did he talk about, he, um, he almost got in a fight? <gasps> I remember a guy years ago, he came uh, one morning. He showed up at Bravehearts, and it's when Bravehearts was in the little room here. And he comes in. I like this guy. He's a young guy. He's passionate, really passionate, about 27 years old, ex-military, just a cool guy. And he came in. He said, Pastor Curtis, I need you to pray for me. You're not going to believe what I did. And I said, what? He said, last night, a guy cut me off in traffic. Then he turned around, and he and another guy started flipping me off. And he said, so I just went around him. I said, pull over. We pulled over, and he said, one guy got out, and he said, I knocked all of these teeth out. I said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you need prayer. (laughs) 
He said, hang on a minute. He said, I felt so bad. I knocked him out. I picked him up. I set him back in his truck by the other guy. And he said, I picked all his teeth up and I had a little bag in, in my car. And he said, I put all his teeth in a bag and set him in his lap. And he said, I, I just need forgiveness. And I said, no, you're a man. No, I'm just kidding. We're, we don't need to go to the octagon to be a man. I just want you to know that sometimes, look, God created us with passion on purpose for a purpose. It's okay. Some of you knew me when I was a little bit younger. I was a little hotter tempered. Some things might happen, right? It just, Hosea 4, 6 says this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because we don't preach, we don't teach, we don't show what manly characteristics are and why God created us as men in the first place. If we're always edging us down, then eventually we're a dull knife. We're good for nothing. You can't tell which way you're cutting. And that's part of the problem with our culture today. William Farrell and John Gray. John Gray, you might know as the author of Men Are From Venus, Women Are From Mars, or vice versa. I don't really remember, but I know the name. But they both came together to write this book, The Boy Crisis. And right off the bat, it begins this way. In the middle of an invigorating dinner conversation involving a former governor, a minister, an owner of a PR firm, two authors, and a UC Berkeley professor, three men and three women, two strong feminists in this group, one of the hosts, author Sam Keen, asked this question. If you were born today, which would you rather be, a boy or a girl? Every man answered, a girl, as did two of the three women. At another dinner party, a young married couple came up to them and told them that they were expecting. Dr. Farrell asked the young man what he looked forward to if the child were a boy. And I quote, Andy's eyes lit up. When he's a baby, I look forward to lifting him real high and rolling around with him. I guess I mostly think about us being a little bit older and teaching him how to fish how to play soccer. I remember when my dad pretended to let me kick a goal past him. The first thing I yelled to mom when we got home was how I beat dad. I want to do that for him. Later that evening, I asked Andy, if you had to choose though, which would you prefer having a boy or a girl? After a second's hesitation, he said in a serious tone, a girl today. Today, a girl. When I asked why, he was matter of fact. Girls today can be whatever they want to be. Guys can't. And I'm more afraid a boy would screw up in school or get buried in video games, stuff like that. Look, dads-to-be are almost twice as likely today to prefer a daughter over a son because of the disadvantage that a son has among our culture today. Moms-to-be, they are 24% more likely to prefer their firstborn child to be a daughter we live in a culture that celebrates women and accuses men. Men feel they must apologize for being a man. Men who are worried about having sons for fear of future criticism and the difficulty that they'll possess in this culture. Boys are losing purpose, and when they grow up, they become men without a purpose. One of the hardest ages young men have is, are the ages between 18 and 25 because their frontal lobe is not fully developed, and that's obvious. <laughs> oh, man, if y'all would have known me. I'm talking about if you're jumping off a bridge, I'm going with you. As a matter of fact, the truth is I'm probably leading the charge. I did lead the charge. Anyway, 
right? It's, it's because it's just not fully developed. There's some things that are still missing, but this is how God created us. But we want our men, our young men, our boys to have purpose because they'll become men of purpose. And when we teach them and we disciple them and we say, hey, I understand that frustration. I understand the sexual temptation at those, at that age. I understand what it means to have a broken heart. I understand that it seems like women are so much more mature than you. It's because they are at that age. It's okay. It's all right. I understand why you would rather ride a motorcycle than a four-wheeler. I understand what it means to be daring. I understand why you stood on the edge of that cliff and tried to gain them when you have no athletic ability whatsoever. Because they need us men to speak into these boys' lives and learn to embrace who they are and who God created them to be instead of taking the edge out, off and saying, why did you? I remember my dad years ago, I, I had uh, saved up enough money to purchase my own pickup and I wanted a Chevy short bed and uh, he, he came along with me. We went shopping for a Chevy short bed and finally found a black stepside hole, oh, man, 1980 model. I, it was old even then, but I liked it. And I had a chrome row bar in that bad boy. And, you know, I, I had me some kicker speakers in the back that just bounced those seats like that, man. Because back then, it's not that way today, but back then, your vehicle was your identity. And, man, we cruise around Dip Street there in Tulia and just, oh, it was just awesome. It was fun, right? Well, it got to be where everybody started racing their Chevy short beds. We had a little strip that everybody would go out to, and so I had to show up. And mine had a 350 where most of them in, in the mid-80s and late-80s had 305. So I was like, you know, uh, some of y'all know the, algebra form, the algebraic formula, uh, CPTCTC. C-P-C-T-C. Y'all know that formula? You know how I memorize that formula? Curtis's pickup can take Courtney's. That's how I memorize that formula. And my dad found out that I was racing and he says, son, I know you bought that pickup, but don't, don't think for one minute that I won't take those keys from you. It is not safe. And we need direction like that. And we need correction like that. And I knew my dad wasn't kidding and I bought it, but he did help me with the gas. So let's keep going. See, our, our deal is boys are losing purpose, and when they grow up, they become men without purpose. We want a manly church. We want to speak the truth and the love of Christ, but in doing that, we want to be men and say this is who we are and this is who God called us to be. I get where everything comes from, women's rights, equal rights, voting rights, minority rights, and I'm okay with that. Everyone has value. That's what we're trying to embrace there. I get that. All right, but here's the truth. When Jesus walked the earth, he didn't look like me. He's much darker, if you didn't know. He's Jewish. He would not be the major ethnicity in the United States. But I want you to hear something, church. I'm okay with that, and I choose to worship him. I don't need to make him my color. I don't need to make him my hairstyle or him to have my values. I worship him. I surely don't need to change his gender, much less change mine. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom, only sons and daughters. We don't need to do away with one gender to further another one along its way. We don't need to bring one down in order to bring another up. And by the way, this is true with race as well. You don't have to take one down in order to bring another one up. 
Romans 8, 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Women, if you're divorced, if, if you're one who came from an abusive dad, an abusive father, or got abused by a man in some way, I want to speak to you right now. There is only one perfect Father, and that is our Heavenly Father. That's it. Just because I'm a pastor, by no means am I perfect. I can throw a fit better than anyone. All right, but but here's the truth. I don't brag. I don't pat myself on the back. I've really worked on that over the years, and I believe I'm a lot better. But I will say this, that women, men are not perfect. That's not what we're preaching here. What we're saying is simply this. Don't take their fatherhood away from them. But most importantly, you have a perfect father, and he will give you, if it's not a man in the physical, he will help you father your children as you bring them up. And my goal is to point you to the one perfect Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me back up a little. When Adam was brought into the garden, he was given these two commands, which we talk about all the time, to cultivate and to keep. Cultivate means to improve the growth of a plant or crop by labor and attention. It takes labor, and we have to be attentive to the gardens that God places in our lives. Keep is the Hebrew word meaning protect. We protect our garden. Now, here's a biology lesson that I love to give to the youth. Every youth in here, eventually, you're going to hear me give this spill to you, and I will draw pictures on the board, and you're going to say, what in the world? And I will explain it. But this little biology lesson, every woman is a garden or has a garden within her. If you were taking images or imaging pictures from the pelvis up, All right, you would see a uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, and inside the ovaries are these things known as eggs. It looks like a potted plant. It really does. Now, you didn't know you were going to get this biology lesson, but just stay with me for just a moment. Man is the seed carrier. Man is a seed. Look, church, this is not by accident. The garden must be pollinated. Without pollination, there will be no reproduction. If Satan had a strategy, which he does, he would go after the seed carrier. Stop the seed, and you've stopped God's plan to be fruitful and multiply. William Farrell states in this book, he says, Boys today have sperm counts that are less than half of what their grandfathers had at the same age, and in the United States, it continues to drop 1.5% each year. That's what is happening. What's happening is you're seeing the spiritual manifest in in the physical. We're seeing what's happening out here that is very demonic, trying to take away gender and becoming gender neutral. What's the use in having a seed carrier then? You see... We start when they're young. If we're not careful, the culture will start when they're young and begin taking the rough, rough, rough edges from the boys. I've got a cousin that has four boys and one girl. We're very close, been close our whole lives. When those little boys were just stair-stepped, we had a wedding. We were at this wedding. We all come out. We're out high-fiving, had a great wedding and a lot of fun, and all of a sudden one of those boys just goes whack and kicks the other one. I sit there and watch it happen. He turns around kicks the wrong one, one of the other brothers. You got three boys, and there's four of them. One of them was smart enough to say, I'm not getting in that. 
but you got three that are entangled and they're going. Right here in a wedding, a girl, lady's coming out in a wedding dress and there's these three boys just rolling up next to her and going right by. Don't even recognize it. And dad, he looks at me and he said, well, here I go again. But you know, that's boys. So oftentimes, that's how they're created. How about we remove? See, if we're not careful, what happens is we take all the rough edges off. We have them wear signs and begin to apologize for their gender. They take the boy out of the scout. How about remove gender altogether? Choose a bathroom. Choose your sexual orientation. Anyone or any God that doesn't approve of your choice, prove that he or she has made you a victim. Or simply show that you are a victim due to the choices, the poor choices you made. Our culture celebrates LGBTQ as if they are victims who come out and are strong, courageous, and full of love. Why can't you just love? Statistics show something very different, church, and you need to know these. 37% of transgenders commit suicide. That statistic has gone up, and depending on which one, that is the bottom end now. The top end's around 44%. Is it wrong to tell them the truth, that this was not God's intention for your life? That you, you don't have the right to change your gender? That God knew what he was doing when he created you because he created you out of love? Gay and lesbian suicide rates, along with depression, are much higher than heterosexuals. No news there. Let me just say this by speaking the truth in love. You see, we think tolerance is love. It's not. I won't tolerate my kids going out and acting like they're in the jungle unless they're in the jungle. Right? It has correction. It has redirection. It has a father's voice that speaks into this. Think with me on something else that is just psychological for just a moment. Years ago, I was sitting across the desk. I was youth directing at the time, and a young lady comes in. She had set an appointment with her mother. Both of them sat across the desk from me, and, they, and she said, I'm a cutter. And I was like, okay. I didn't know what that meant. I was, I was in youth ministry, had no idea what a cutter was. Sets across the desk. She tells me, and she pulls her sleeves up, and I mean, Oh my goodness, has these cuts down her arms. She, she pulls her, her, uh, shirt back a little bit and you can see all these cut marks. Now think with me for just a moment, church. What if I would have said, you just need to embrace who you are, who God created you to be? Let me tell you what happens to a cutter that embraces that. They bleed out eventually. We have to be in a place and men, you need to rise up and be men and speak to this stuff. Know your stuff. It's okay to stand against some things as a man. I mean, who really loves in this situation? I'm not attempting to throw rocks. I know some struggle with the same sex attraction. That's real. I think the vast majority to this is the lack of fatherhood or patria in the family. When we push God out or when we become the potter and he becomes the clay, we'll always lose our purpose. Males lose their purpose and eventually lose their seed. See, God gives us our genders for His purpose, not so we can decide whether or not He is wrong, but so we can surrender to Him and one another for His glory. One is not greater than the other. We need one another. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, However, in the Lord neither is woman independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as the woman originates from the man, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate through God. So, 
let's apply some things this morning on Father's Day. First, know this, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. I promise you my kids have seen me defend them when I thought something was wrong. Did you know I, I have taken things all the way to school levels and my children have no idea about those things because we have agreed we will never talk negatively about our teachers in front of them. We don't do that. But every one of my daughters knows that when dad gets pushed too far or he sees something that's not right, get ready because defense is on its way. Now, now look, I'm trying to instruct, I'm trying to show, I'm not saying I have it down perfectly. It's not me. I just believe in a man being a man. Boys not only need to be taught, look, boys need to be shown, and more is caught than taught. I get. I began this message with Jacob, also known as Israel, because within him he is the father of a nation, and how he sent his sons. He told them what to take. He told them what he thought. He had influence, and check it out, church, they listened to him. What? They did. Men, you and I have a responsibility to defend, to defend our gender. It's under attack. And now that doesn't mean that you fight with the females. It means you stand for what you were created for and you learn to lead well. Your call in this life is, if you have children, is to lead, protect, and provide. Most of the time, that which you are doing is far more effective than that which you are teaching. Oh, man, my kids used to just fall asleep when I'd teach them. Sometimes they still do, right? Get them up early. Let's have family devotional. If I start talking, they're like, oh, no, please let mom. She knows how to wrap things up, right? It just works that way. But, but they also learn more from what I do. Jacob had taught his boys. They knew how to protect. They knew how to provide. Look, they knew how to serve because Joseph served to the point of leading a nation. And you know something? Next week, you're going to find something out about Joseph. Joseph was a different nationality. The Hebrews were not allowed to eat with the Egyptians because the Egyptians saw the Hebrews as being impure or unpure. And you know what's awesome? A Hebrew would lead their nation their entire nation because he had been instructed by his father how to lead, lead a godly life. Jacob had taught his boys. They knew how to protect, provide, and you're going to find out they knew how to conquer as well. Where were the women? They were back in the city. The women are not called to cultivate and keep. The men are. God is a gender defender. Genesis 5-2, and he created them both male and female. And when you defend your gender, you defend God's purpose. For you and for others, church, we cultivate or teach through doing, by caring for our garden, getting our hands dirty, cutting down the weeds, leading, protecting, providing. Men be men, not women. I don't believe women should be in combat. I'm just going to say it. Nursing, yes. But not in combat. Men, your love for them shouldn't allow this to happen. We're the ones called to be on the front lines. I'm not here to debate with you. Women can fight. Some are better shots. I have someone here that can verify this morning. Stanton, you and I were on 4-H uh, rifle team. Went to state. I was alternate. Sophomore in high school because a woman, a young woman outshot me. They can shoot. Steady hands. 
They're good. By the way, Stanton was number one, just so y'all know. I, I'm just throwing something your way, all right? <laughs> but she could shoot, and she beat me out on the team. I could be alternate. Look, the truth is, it's not that you can't. It's we mean men need to step up because it's what we're called to. It's what we're called to. The second thing is, is give them vision. Learn to plant seeds. Boys with vision become men of destiny. Boys with vision become men of destiny. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then what was birthed? An entire nation, three generations. It's incredible what we can do through three generations. What will three generations of this church look like? Well, I can tell you that young, that second to the youngest generation in this church shook camp up this week. Because not only did they start praising and worshiping and others started noticing, others started saying they're real about their God. They're passionate about their God. They're warriors for their God. Yeah, it's for real. Learn to plant a seed by speaking it. See, Genesis 35, if you back the story up, this is so interesting. Verse 16, then they journeyed from Bethel and when they... When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel began to give birth and she suffered severe labor. In verse 17, when she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, do not fear for now you have another son. And it came about as her soul was departing for she died that she named him Benoni. But his father called him Benjamin. See, Benoni means this, son of my sorrow, son of my pain, son who took my life away. Can you imagine how she just labeled that boy for the rest of his life? I'm responsible for the death of my mother. But the dad stepped in and said, no, 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 no. His name is Benjamin, which is son of my right hand. Church, I started this message with a scripture about Benjamin. Did you see it? As a matter of fact, the, it's such a powerful scripture that you find out that Jacob, the dad, says, oh my goodness, that's, that's, that's basically the seed of my destiny. Benjamin, he, he says this, um, he says, director, I'm sorry, uh, I thought I wrote it in here. Did I not write it in here? Somebody, if, oh, he says this, he said, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. And the reason why Jacob was going to be bereaved over Benjamin, Benjamin is because Rachel only had two sons. And this was her second one. The first one was Joseph. And so she's, she's giving birth and she's dying. And, and, and if you remember the story at all about Jacob, Jacob had to work for a father-in-law by the name of Laban and Laban played a trick and, and he worked seven years to get Rachel and, and instead he gives him Leah. Leah means tangle-eyed. So he has to work another seven years. And then with Rachel, he gets her, and now the second born, he's already lost the firstborn, he thinks, with Joseph. And now he's saying, oh my goodness, now you got to take him as well and present him to this king, because that was the requirement if you go and read the story. My point is simply this, the mighty tribe of Benjamin is formed by a father who spoke vision and not curses into his child and showed him his God. Look, we've got to go, and, and I know we got to wrap this up. Learn to plant a seed. If you can't speak it, then learn to write it. Because God speaks to us as sons. 
Do we listen on behalf of our children, on behalf of our nation? Speaking sometimes, men, requires words. It does. Learn to speak destiny to your children. Learn to write destiny to your children. Don't be afraid to pick up a pen and write. It's important. Church fathers, you do the same. Imagine how Timothy felt when he received a letter from the Apostle Paul and it referred to him as a son. See, words of affirmation are so important. And the thing about pinning them down, they have them forever, at least for their lives. Their gender is not a mistake. It's a commission to be on purpose, God's purpose. Boys will be boys and men will be men, and we're looking for men to be godly men. Last night, I, my son called me, and I only hear from him once a week. And he said, I want to wish you happy Father's Day, Dad, and I want to thank you for bringing me up in a household that knows God. And he said, I want you to know I was up all night last night, just about all night, writing letters to the campers that I had for the week. And he said, I do it every week. I write each one of them a personal letter. And then I go back uh, two, three weeks later and write them again. If we can learn to, to pin, learn to share, learn, learn to show the love of Christ to our children, it's amazing the return that we'll get. You know, he learned some of that from me, but not all, because all of them are required to do this. He's not allowed to have his phone during the week. He gets it on Saturday afternoon. And he said, normally the battery's dead. It's okay. He's, he's serving the Lord, and that's what we want for all of our children. We want godly boys to become godly men because that's the hope for a nation. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Generational. Don't get it confused. If you will, please stand. I'm going to ask the altar team to make their way forward this morning. I want to thank those of you who, are been, who have been with us online. Happy Father's Day to each and every one. And, and we want to encourage you today, if you would like to receive prayer, if, if you want a seed sown in you today, a good positive seed that will have a return 30, 60, and 100 fold, make your way forward and receive prayer. Father God, thank you once again for this your day as we celebrate our fathers. Fathers are not a mistake. Father, fathers create nations. Father, restore us to who you've called us to be and become in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.